You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Annie McLaughlin here for Stick Together, a half hour of worker stories, union news and social justice issues. We come to you from 3CR on the unceded lands of the Kulin Nation with respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. We are coming to you on your community radio station through the Community Radio Network or via podcast if that's your preferred medium. Two reports today. We go to the steps of Victorian Parliament with the Respect March held on November the 24th following the death of six Australian women that week alone from intimate partner violence. We hear from Professor Kate Fitzgibbon from Respect Victoria about how workers, unionists and society members in general can turn the tide of the violence against women and girls marking the beginning of the Global 16 Days of Action campaign. We follow up with a chat with Bette Stiles, early childhood educator and United Workers' Union member, about the Padlocks on Child Care Centres action held on the 29th of November across the country to push the stalled federal government into fulfilling their pre-election promise for better pay and conditions for the sector. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. It was a pretty sobering thought that as people gathered around Australia in rallies against family violence on November the 24th in Melbourne, that six women had been murdered allegedly by their partners just in that one week. Equality for women and safety were centre stage when Stick Together went down to the Parliament steps in Melbourne for the Respect Rally. Uh, so my name's Jessie and we're here to support the community against family violence. It's something that's very close to my heart because um, myself and my two children went through it so we really relocated here for that reason so um, it's definitely something that I'll always stand against and um, support everyone in that community that's going through those times. And I notice we've got the CFMEU flags here and the CFMEU have been working hard to try and equalise the workforce within the membership, right? Absolutely, and they definitely are very supportive of women in the industry, um, making sure that we're all treated fairly and, and that we are you know, supported in our workplace and so forth. And so, yeah, CFMU is definitely behind that and um, that's why we're here representing today. They, are, they stand behind the women to get us to move forward in every walks of our lives. So it, they, they're brilliant. The union is brilliant with women. Yeah, I mean, we're just only some women of a huge uh, majority of the women in the construction industry of the CFMEU. 
which is a, a huge male-dominated area uh, and union, as you can imagine. So the union is really getting around the equality of women and the men working alongside with each other and the men understanding what it actually means of the family violence and what we're protesting against to make everyone supported and for, to put a stop to it really. Um, so we're all just supporting each other and getting around each other and the men in the union are also supporting the women in the union and we're all supporting the same cause. The people, I'm from um, 3CR and I was just wondering, since you're from the Australian Education Union and you're here at this rally, why are you here? We're here because fighting against family violence is a workplace issue. We think that we've got to keep women safe at work so they can continue participating in the economy. And I'd also like to ask you about the uh, breakdown of uh, females getting higher uh, jobs within the education department. Is that something on your agenda? Yes, it certainly is. As a union, gender equality is um, right at the top of our agenda. It's a feminised workforce. You're quite right. Um, but with the Gender Equality Act and the Gender Equality Action Plans, we're pleased to say that we are starting to see some progress. But of course, there's a long, long way to go. That sort of equality will have an effect on uh, this sort of uh, violence towards women, won't it? Oh, most definitely. We know the driver of violence towards women is gender inequality. And as teachers and educators, we've got an important role to play in modelling the, how society should look to children and especially young children because we are in kindergartens as well. So No to Violence is the national peak body for organisations that work with men who commit family violence and uh, we're here today in solidarity with all the people affected by family violence and for, for us we know that, that everyone is affected by family violence at some point uh, and we stand in solidarity to raise awareness and to ensure that the, the voice of men and engagement of men in this critical issue is, is, um, is front row centre in terms of the conversation because whilst um, family violence affects everyone, it begins and ends with men and men need to be part of this conversation. So what's your experience of uh, the motivators? Oh look, there's, there's a lot of motivators uh, around family violence but we often say that while not all disrespect for women ends in violence, all violence against women begins with disrespect. So gender equity across our community is obviously a really important issue. The status of women in our society is critically important. But likewise, intergenerational issues, uh, trauma, uh, a range of different factors come to play. But at the end of the day, the issue begins and ends with men. I mean, there's stereotypic uh, belief structures within our society, I presume, but there's also anger issue management issues, aren't there? Well, there's a range of factors, but at the end of the day, men are responsible for their behaviour, and uh, there's no getting away from that. But, but what do you guys do to help these guys well, get over this? No to Violence itself offers a, a free counselling service, telephone counselling service, a referral service to organisations that can work with men to explore their behaviour and change their behaviour and develop more appropriate ways of being in relationships. And I'm just getting people's opinions about why they're here and why they're wearing an orange hat. Well, the reason that I'm here is because I align with the cause. I think everyone deserves to be in a respectful relationship and treat each other with respect. I think there's an epidemic in Victoria and Australia of family violence, both in intimate partner relationships and within families. 
um, and I think it requires a real culture shift. And I think the more awareness we bring to it and the more noise we make about it, um, the more that we'll see that. So I just want to make sure I'm a part of this. Yeah, it's, it's a business about being quiet when something awful happens. That has to change, doesn't it? Well, and we know that family violence happens in secrecy and in silence. And often the people that feel disempowered and that are victims um, are the ones that don't feel that they can speak. So anyone that does feel like they can speak on it should um, when they feel safe and able to do that. And you can see the collective numbers today um, mean that there's a lot of people behind the cause and there's a lot of people speaking up and on behalf of those who feel like they can't. And hopefully one day they can join us. Our next speaker is Professor Kate Fitzsibbon. She's a leading scholar in the field of family violence, femicide, criminal justice, and law reform. She's also the chair of Respect Victoria. Please welcome Kate Fitzgibbon. Some of what I say now will have been said, but it's quite important to repeat it, to remind ourselves that according to the Counting Dead Women Project, 53 women have been killed in Australia this year alone, the majority allegedly by male violence. We're here today because we don't accept these deaths. We don't accept the violence that robbed them of their dreams and ambitions that lay ahead them. When we talk about preventing family violence and violence against women, what we mean is that we don't accept that this violence is inevitable. We don't accept the conditioning of girls to swallow their opinions and boys their vulnerability. We don't accept a culture that tells young women that they exist for others' pleasure and tells young men that they're entitled to sex. We don't accept that our gender comes with rules about what we should look like, how we should dress, what we should be interested in or who we should love. We don't accept that right now in Australia, your gender will most likely dictate the kind of job you have and how much or how little you will be paid. Who will carry the parenting load and do most of the housework? Whose role it is to earn money and decide how that money is spent? Who will retire with super and who will retire in poverty? We don't accept that women with disabilities are sidelined in decisions about their bodies and their lives that a woman's immigration status can be used to control her or the ongoing removal of Aboriginal children from their mothers and their families. We do not accept love bombing, gaslighting, isolating or stalking someone as normal parts of a relationship. That violence, we do not accept that is an acceptable reaction to day-to-day -day stress or that someone who stays with a violent partner is responsible for their abuse. We don't accept media headlines that portray perpetrators as respected leaders or good fathers while speculating on the victim's mental health, what they were wearing or what they were drinking. We do not accept the abuse, the subjugation, the control and the murder of women. It's as simple as that. Today, we are all here to say that nothing is inevitable. Violence is preventable. You're here because you don't accept it or any of the attitudes and behaviours that drive it. So what my role is, which is a hopeful and a fantastic one, is to tell you what you can do to prevent violence against women and family violence. Let your daughter be assertive and let your son cry. 
Let young people express and affirm their gender. Teach them about affirmative and enthusiastic consent and role model respectful relationships. Carry your fair share of the load in parenting and domestic relationships. Share decisions about your household and finances. If someone you know thinks a homophobic joke is harmless or that gender equality has gone too far, talk to them. Role model healthy masculinity. If you're an employer, confront pay discrimination in your workplace. Have parental leave and flexible work policies that support all parents and all carers. Encourage women in all of their diversity into leadership. If so, you're someone who makes decisions in your organisation, your club or your company, embed prevention in your policies, your strategies, your budgets. Make your spaces inclusive. Listen to and elevate the voices of women facing injustice and discrimination. If you are someone who influences what we read, what we watch and what we listen to, hold perpetrators to account in your reporting. Create realistic and respectful portrayals of women and girls. Give them a platform. If you're a decision maker in government, make prevention a priority. Sustain and grow all parts of the family violence and violence against women system from prevention through to response and recovery. Embed prevention and gender equality in all your policies and budgets. Invest in respectful relationships education and affordable childcare. Reform the institutions that victimise and gaslight women and victim survivors. Defend the right to affordable housing. Promote culturally safe, sexual and reproductive health education and access to gender-affirming care. Protect the right to choose. Call out anti-trans rhetoric and stand up against the politics of hate and division. We must stay on the path to treaty and listen to the voices of Aboriginal women and communities. In the National Plan to End Violence Against Women and Children, victim survivors so clearly told us, it is time to transform our pain into action. You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues on the Community Radio Network through your community radio station or via our podcast. You're with Annie. Beck Stiles, a long-term early childhood educator and a United Workers' Union member, took part in a Padlock for Change action on November the 29th with a 1,000 childcare centres across Australia. They were highlighting that the sector is in a critical phase when it comes to wages and conditions for workers. The padlocks were symbolic this time, as Beck explains. Yeah, so it was a big day. So it was a big national day of action for for the United Workers Union across the sector within early childhood education. So there were over a thousand centres that participated in the day. The day was kind of based around padlocks, padlocking the doors in a warning to the government you know, we kind of had paper padlocks and core fruit padlocks. And the idea is this time it's paper ones and next time it will be real ones if they don't do what they need to do to try and help fix the sector. Now, leading up to the last federal election, the issue of bad pay and bad conditions and, in fact, privatisation of the sector was a really big deal. And I'm sure it helped get the Labor government over the line, don't you? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this action that we did and part of the multi-employee bargaining process that we're going through at the moment is all part of our Big Steps campaign. So our Big Steps campaign has been going for 10 years. So for 10 years now, or 10 years plus actually, we've been telling the government that there is a crisis and that it's just getting worse. You know, there's staff shortages, you've got centres closing, you've got all these private centres just opening up everywhere. And it's become more of a a money-making tool rather than the education side of things, which is what it should be focused on. The government actually said that uh, it was going to step in. And in fact, I remember them making some vague announcement that they were going to actually prop up the industry by increasing funding so that wages would be increased. Yes. So they've done a couple of things. They've done a couple of things over the years. So when Labor were last in government, they had made promises and they had said that they were going to give a pay increase to educators. But then they got voted out and the Liberals came in and they said, we're not going to do that. And it got taken away. And that was absolutely devastating for the sector. And since then, the crisis has just gotten worse and worse. We've got so many educators are just leaving because they just can't do it anymore. They're, they're all so burnt out and they're, you know, they've they're got such this high expectation of, of everything that they're doing and they're just getting paid absolute pittance to do it. When the government came in again, this time they've said, you know, we've got this cheaper childcare package and it's going to be great for families and et cetera, et cetera, and it will bring fees down. But all it's done is then given a greater demand on centres for places for children. But of course, unless you've got educators to actually run the centres and be in the centres, then there are no extra places for for families. So it's it's kind of a no-brainer, really, that they really need to to look at the educators first um, before they can start making any extra promises to families. Yeah, that's very interesting because it is a complicated issue in the sense that once the private sector started to become dominant in the uh, process, what happened was that they only wanted to have centres in lucrative areas. That's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're just popping up everywhere and they look amazing and they're some of them are like 150, 180 place centres, like they're they're huge, but they don't have the staff to run them either. And, it, you know, I, I work in a community-based not-for-profit service and our service is all about the community. It's about the children. It, it's about them. It's not about, you know, I certainly don't own a yacht and no no, no one here is, is making millions of dollars. That's not what it should be about. There's just too many centres popping up everywhere and, and a lot of these not-for-profit community-based centres, which were the kind of the original ones, are closing down because people see these nice new fancy buildings and think, oh, well, you know, we'll go there, but then soon realise that the grass is not quite so green on the other side. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's most important in the Big Steps campaign was all about was how important those early years are for children and that we need to invest in our children. Yeah, absolutely. So personally, if I, if you know, could make the decisions, um, I would make early education come under that same education banner as kindies and schools. So, you know, we have a curriculum that we must follow. It was the government that helped create this curriculum for us. We have this early years learning framework and everything we do, you know, the education factor is embedded into like literally everything that we do. And every child that comes in the door, we have to create educational programs for them. And we have to, you know, kind of link back to the framework and why we do what we do and 
you know, and those first five years is what, you know, we're the ones that are here for that. Then when they go off to school, they've already learned, like the amount that they learn in those first five years is phenomenal. And that's what we're there for. Um, and we're part of that education. So we really should, you know, we, we should be thought of that as well. And you guys go off and get certificates and diplomas and and even degrees yep. and you're not being paid yep. or recognised for that work. No, absolutely not. So we run the same curriculum program. So the curriculum that we follow is the same curriculum that they have in like a kindy kindy. So like a kindy that's connected to a school, which is when a lot of people think that's when education starts, when they go to kindy. And that's just, you know, like a a tip of the iceberg until they go off to school. But we run exactly the same programs. We have the same framework. We run the same thing. But for a teacher to work in an early childhood setting as opposed to a teacher working in a kindy kindy, you can look at like 10 to $15 an hour difference to do exactly the same thing. And the federal government... Plus the holidays and all of that. <laughs> the federal government hasn't committed, you're saying, to attending their meetings before the end of the year uh, around uh, pay increases and conditions. Uh, you're really worried, no. aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely we are. So we did so we've had um a couple of meetings around this multi employer bargaining um agreement and the government have come to one meeting so far and that meeting, you know, we were there for like six hours. I was I was actually there and we were there for like six hours that day and we poured our heart out to them as to why the you know why the sector in such a cri- in such a crisis and the urgency of that, you know, they have to do something now. There's going to be no sector left. Um, and the only response we got from them was literally, thank you very much, we'll take that back and, you know, hopefully we'll get that to at the end of January. And we all our faces were like, uh, what? That's like, that is not what we had hoped for. That's certainly not what we were expecting. We were just devastated. And we, we told them how devastated we were and how disappointed we were in the fact that when they, uh, you know, brought these new industrial relation laws in, and they literally used our sector as an example of a sector that should go ahead and do this, you know, and this is going to help you guys out. So we've done that and they're not ready. Like they weren't ready for us and we were just just blown away, absolutely blown away. And if they wait till January next year, you know, well, if they're going to wait till then to think about it, then, you know, how much longer is it going to take? We can't, we can't, we can't keep doing it. Like there's going to be, so many so many more people will leave there's enough leaving now and if they don't come to the table with some actual real answers and some kind of input into this and do what they said they were going to do there will be nobody left the sector will crumble did you uh, get any response from Minister Burke and Minister Ali from the action on the 29th? I haven't heard of anything at the moment, no. So um, I know that there was uh, something around that they were now, you know, hoping to maybe meet with us this year, but nothing has been set. I do know that after the meeting of disappointment, it was followed up with some lobbying in Canberra and they were... <laughs> I don't know why, but disappointed in the meeting. You know, they didn't expect it to go that way. 
I'm, I don't know why they didn't think that, considering they gave us nothing. What the idea of this action is, is to make them see, you know, that we've got these padlocks. They're the ones that have the key to this. They're the ones that we're waiting for. That if they can come and do what they said they were going to do and come to the table, you know, then we, we can unlock all the padlocks and we won't need to close the doors and, and we can start actually fixing the sector and doing what they said they were going to do in the first place. And the Productivity Commission's interim report has made it clear that if uh, there are no reforms in terms of educators' wages, then nothing can happen in this sector. Yeah, that's exactly right. And everything is saying that, you know, like like I said, we've been banging on the government's door for 10 years plus now, telling them what's going to happen and it's now happening. You know, everything is saying what we've been telling them forever and a day. Um, but now you've got official people that are telling them. So they, they have to do something like Australia is going to fall even further behind. We're already behind in the way that a lot of the world look at early education. So it's about time we caught up and the government are the ones that need to push for that. In order to do that, they need to look at the educators because without the educators, there's no sector. You're setting up uh, the concept that there should be certain standards in terms of wages, um, as there are certain standards in regards to educational levels that workers have to have, which they self-invest in. With the privatisation, effectively, of the sector, is the government going to become an employer of choice in this area or are they expecting to give money over to private business to prop it up? Yeah, well, this is this is the thing and this is the, the, the part of the MEB that we're fighting for. So the groups that are kind of represented at the moment in this initial multi-employer groups, it does actually cover community-based and profit private centres as well. So there's a group that is sitting at the table that covers, you know, every kind of, I guess, type of early childhood education setting within the nation. But a big part of this MEB has to be very specific that it has to go towards educators' wages. It cannot go anywhere else. And all parties, even the private people, are all in agreement that there has to be some kind of mechanism or something in this agreement that will ensure that this goes in educators' pockets and not um, owners' pockets. It's the educators that need it. So it's very specifically targeted and the, the government need to make sure that whatever kind of means they come up with, that it is made very clear that it has to go to educators. So we have national meetings with educators across the whole country. The educators are the ones that are driving this campaign and we're the ones that are making the decisions. And there's already been talk of, you know, that's, this is what these padlocks were about. You know, this was always going to be a warning. There, there is talk of it next time, you know, we, we're likely going to be shutting the doors and we're going to be walking the streets and we're going to be screaming through megaphones instead of taking nice, you know, pictures in our centres. That's it for Stick Together this week. But before I go, just a reminder of the Afida's campaign in support of Palestine relief. Since 1989, United Aid Abroad, Afida, has been supporting development and humanitarian programs with their partner organisation, the Manan Development Centre, a secular, national, independent organisation in Gaza. With your support, MAN works with UN and local organisations to provide access to water, food, medical supplies and shelter, psychosocial support for children and families, dignity and hygiene kits for displaced people. 
They need your help. Make a donation. Go to afida.org.au and you'll be able to make your donation there. Afida is A-P-H-E-D-A. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or at your favourite podcast site. You can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by ringing 03 9419 and leaving us a message. We'd love to hear from you. My name is Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. One, two, three. What is this? It doesn't make much sense They sing it like a pop song Kill or lie
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.